and he turns around and sees this creepy naked motherfucker <laughs> in the silhouette of, of him in his naked thighs and his penis and he's just smiling at you. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing in my house walking around like that? I devoured my twin in the tomb. Didn't you know that? In, in the tomb. In the tomb. In the tomb. Not the in womb. The tomb. In the tomb. And then in the, in the womb. womb. In the womb. Never mind. The womb became a tomb. <laughs> she locked me in the tomb and I said, fuck you, baby. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new horror film, which is Hereditary. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody. Welcome in to episode 157 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney. Hey. And Toussaint Egan. Ah, well done. Yeah. Joining us on this episode is our buddy, Film... Film? Film? Film. Film star. Film. Oh. Hey, film. Hey, film. Our, film. Our buddy, film. Our, yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no. Actually, it's Sam. <laughs> hey. Oh. Well, now I'm kind of disappointed because I thought we had Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's it. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to yeah. Seriously, where's JC Bye. at? That'd be pretty crazy uh, for JC to come back to talk about this episode. <laughs> would it? Yeah. It totally would. Would, be. yeah. Was I don't agree with everything I saw. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this is a little out there, guys. But that was a yeah. tour de force. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it too about parents passing on shit. <laughs> <laughs> that mother movie, though, that was really good. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. So the actual film we're talking about is Hereditary. Or as I like to call it, Hereditary. The new film by director Ari Aster. Uh, I thought you were going to say REM. <laughs> yeah, boy, that would have been some if the band REM directed this film. Hey, yeah. it's a great band. Are they? Yes. But one time they were pretty good. No, they were. They very, still are. No, well, oh. no, they're not a band anymore. Right. But their catalog is great. Mm. Okay. Good. So this film, uh, directed by not REM but Ari Aster, mm-hmm. uh, stars Tony Collette. Who you ask? <laughs> Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne, while also featuring Millie Shapiro and Alex Wolf. So the film Seren. Boy. Sereno. Serenity. The film surrounds a family uh, and a family matriarch who passes away that leaves a grieving family that is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences that begin to unravel dark secrets. So, I think Toussaint should start this off because he's the (laughs) one who really drove 
Although Sam did as well. Yeah. Because she said she really wanted to do an episode on this. But Toussaint has been talking about this film, mm-hmm. honestly, for like four months now. Yeah, I would yeah. have to say this is probably my, or was my most anticipated I was gonna say, film it, it's of at, the year. At least in the in the top, yeah. very top echelon. Yeah. So one, one it goes sort Hereditary, of Jurassic World, Fallen <laughs> Kingdom, uh, which by the way, we haven't seen yet. You so haven't seen it yet. When we get to it, I'm hoping that you'll like it just as much. As you know, it. I'm... I'm Kind of looking forward to it, and mm-hmm. you know, based on the strength of the previous film, I think we're gonna we right might be in for something special. For I mean, sure. high expectations, right? Yeah, I just hope Jeff Goldblum's in it for at least two scenes. Me too. Yeah, me too. And hopefully, Chris Pratt takes his shirt off too, because yeah. we need to see him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. Hello yeah, yes. over there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Don't mind the red cheeks. That's okay. No, no, no. This yeah, hasn't happened before. Yeah, just a dash of Too sad. So, um, I have never heard of Ari Aster before this. Uh, before seeing the trailer for Hereditary, and that's for a good reason because this is actually his first feature film. He's done a couple of other like short form films before. I've, I've seen. Uh, after I watched the trailer for this, I actually went back and like watched a couple of them. Uh, the Strange Case of the Johnsons uh, is was very harrowing and very very disturbing, and so it sort of like follows along with a through line of like an like a like an intimate family portrait. And I wanted to see what he would do in a feature length context with more ostensibly supernatural elements sort of incorporated into that. Um, I can't say that I was disappointed, but I'm not sure if I got everything that I wanted to get out of this film necessarily. I have actually seen this film twice, one um, with Alex and with Nick and also another time with a friend of mine and his brother-in-law just because I wanted to return to it. And it seems like the type of film that has a lot to offer upon at least – a repeat viewing, if not repeat viewings. And, too, we saw this film with our friend Brian. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I have to say that I enjoyed at least the first two-thirds of this film. The last act, the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it. And the second time I, I watched it, I was like, I'm not sure how all these pieces really fit together for me. Because... When it starts out, is more in the vein of like a a psychological thriller where you're mm-hmm. seeing like the uncoupling of this family and at least what you presume to to think might be like psychosis or like psychological drama that that's like really like driving a wedge between them, and then it sort of eventually becomes becomes more explicit. Yeah, it takes a hard turn, becomes more explicitly supernatural, and and like chaotic and stuff like that. So I'm not sure how I, how I reconcile those bits, but there are a lot of really cool, like nuances and interesting things that I do like about these films. Like I like the cinematography. I like the color grading. Mm-hmm. I like the score. Score is fucking awesome. It's like a demented version of like Philip Glass. And I like that. Um, how about, and how about just the sound design? Yeah. The sound too? design just is in fucking general. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Colette is is remarkable in in her her turn in this. Like I I think that she does definitely deserve at least some sort of like recognition, if not like some awards for her performance because it was really good. 
Um, this is not a genre that gets recognized. No, anymore. because this is yeah. the kind. This is the kind Especially of. Especially because it's lacking that social commentary that something like Get Out is. Yeah, if if it if it is recognized, it'll be known as like a oh, it's a psychological drama. It's like yeah. they they can't ever say it's a horror film because oh, that's much too uncouth for the for the blue bloods in the mm. in the academy. Oh no, oh no. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed this film, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys liked about it. Okay. Or didn't like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm actually interested in that, too. Okay. Yeah. That being said, do you want me to give my initial thoughts? Yes, please, yeah. Alex. Okay. I uh, was not that big of a fan of this film. And I will say that I actually prefer this film to something like It Follows. Um, I think that there were high points here. And I think there were some parts of this. Uh, first of all, I thought the... Uh, Sound design and the way that the sound editing happened in this film was actually fantastic. And I thought that a lot of moments in this film worked really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically the scene when the uh, the sister's head gets knocked off. I thought that was great. So yeah. I just had to put that out there. Yeah. But actually that whole scene, how that played out. Um, a, starting at the party. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of her... Well, A, well, we know nothing about what's going on with mm-hmm. her character, yeah. really, at that point. Yeah. So we kind of can gather that she has a peanut allergy, but I think any any just first-time viewer could easily think that she's been drugged with the... Uh, the cake. cake that she's eating? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that's what I thought. I mean, yeah. you see a party like that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I initially assumed that like, yeah. it was yeah. laced with something. Mm-hmm. So then you have the, the high brother driving her home, and mm-hmm. she's sticking her head out the window for air and gets her head knocked off. Yeah. Um, you could have had a whole movie just centered around that. Yeah. And yeah. have nothing around that's Supernatural. That's kind of what I was looking uh, yeah. that I, I was sort of primed for, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really expecting what the latter half was going to be. And... Just, just, just to stick with that specific scene, um, the the actions of the brother then mm. in that scene, uh, I thought was probably the most fascinating part of the film, because can you blame him? No, mm. my initial thought is that he was going to run away, yeah, because that seems to be totally fine because yeah. you just yeah. killed your sister, yeah, uh, and you're high, yeah, and. You could be going to prison. Yeah. 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 So it, that, that uh, for me, was a very intriguing part of this film uh, in a series of intriguing moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, as this film wore on, uh, I liked it less and less as the more this got into the supernatural. Um, it, it's not exorcism, but it's the supernatural. It's a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Cultism. Yeah. It's a and, coven. Yeah, not a cult, but a cult. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the the ideas that are given and the actions that happen that you physically see uh, uh, in the film are just the kind of things that I don't really care for in films. Not necessarily because I don't understand them or I don't really like them. I just, it doesn't do anything for me. So that's why... As this film wore on, I was just less and less interested. And then we get into the final 15 minutes, and I was like, oh, fuck. I wasn't expecting it to end up becoming like a modern riff on the... I feel like this film takes a hard left. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't expect this to be a modern riff on Rosemary's Baby Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know know, know that... I'm reacting to him. Yeah. In in, in what what are you reacting to? I don't think it's as hard as a left as... 
people think it is. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see I what your counterpoint is. A normal, myself included, mm-hmm. audience member is just like the characters in how much denial there is as to what is really what going, going on. on. So that when we see it uh, so blunt, uh, then it seems like, where did this come from? But uh, but I have more thoughts on that. Which Which is fine, because at the end of the day, this is just not the really... Yeah. Not, not a movie for me, yeah. which is why I was extremely turned off by that because I was interested in multiple facets of this film throughout. Right. But then when it became what it was, yeah. I was just totally turned off. And then when it completely committed to that in the last 15 minutes, I just was so checked out that I was like, I don't like this and I don't care anymore. There is an argument. No, there's yeah. an argument to be made for like the. At least, at at first, the ostensible, like, mundane, existential horror of watching this family just sort of, like, tear itself apart. Mm-hmm. And Which trying, I was interested in. And trying yeah. to trace, like, what the origin point of that is. And I don't want to be and, your mother. I, 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 I never wanted to be a and, mother. Yeah, and, yeah. and have, yeah, that, 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 was... that there, there's something to be said for that to be more compelling than what necessarily what we got. But I still think that the part, parts of what we ended up do, did getting, I was like, I'm really appreciative that we did get to see those parts you know what i'm saying yeah i i understand what you're saying but we, and, I, and i but what we got yeah. was also technically a direct cause and effect okay for some of those scenes like i never wanted to be your mother is technically if not explicit at least implicitly implied that those feelings are being harbored because of outside influences mm-hmm. That led to her actions that were being controlled yeah. by, by her mother. mother. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. I I don't think these things are as separate as they seem to be at first glance. Mm-hmm. Right. But anyway, yeah. Um, which I yeah. I mean, again, I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down, but I just didn't care for it. Right. Um, I will say, uh, a part of this film that I absolutely latched on to and loved. Was the mother uh, a working towards this miniature exhibit that she's going to do, and she just keeps creating more and more personal uh, miniatures. And the one with the daughter's head on the side of the road—oh my goodness! That uh, That was frank reaction of like what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh, That was so awkward and yet so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I guess my initial feeling is that. There were parts of this film that I really did actually genuinely enjoy, but the overall package just was not something that I really cared for. Yeah. So that's my initial thoughts. Sam or Nick? I'll go. Okay. Um, kind of a mix between both Toussaint and Alex. Um, I was very torn um, by the end of this film. Um Initially, going into it and um, hearing about it and kind of watching the trailers and things like that, I was really excited to see this movie um, because I figured that it was going to be definitely more of a psychological thriller. Um, And those I absolutely adore. Um, One of the things that I, one, enjoy writing about as as a writer um, is suspense and thrill. Um, because there's something that's really awesome about being able to kind of build that tension without putting tension in the room, essentially. And that's something I've always prized um, in horror films that are really well done. Um, 
And I think that this one, that that Hereditary, especially in that first probably solid like hour, mm-hmm. the first hour of it, um, even like the, I guess Tucson had said like two first two thirds of it, um, it was just so tense. And you could, to me, when I was watching it, um, I went and I saw it with my mom. And that was something that she... That's quite the viewing experience there. Oh, it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she and I, that was one of our comments when we were walking out was that um, it was so you tense guys were like, that... I feel closer. We, <laughs> um, we felt like it was so... Like we were being oppressed while we were in the theater because we could feel that tension that was going on in the film. Um uh, and then you have some dumbass teenagers that are just like yeah. laughing at every scene because they can't actually like live within that tension. Right. Yeah. This is the neon demon got here. Uh, um, but we did. Well, the, <laughs> that was most of the kids in the, in the theater. Yeah. Then again, like probably about half the theater. I take it back. About a third of the theater left mm-hmm. within the first hour of mm-hmm. the movie. I don't blame um, them. In all honesty, right. this is the kind of film that people walk out on. Yeah. Right. Um, but Stop it, Nick. Aside from that, my, you know, the the two girls that were probably high schoolers um, that were sitting behind my mom and I, they had a running commentary going the entire time we were watching. They're always um, high schoolers. They're always right behind you. <laughs> or they're 28 and 25-year-old grown men making asses of themselves. Because there are high school girls. <laughs> Two rows behind them in the fucking neon. That's demons. an that's an okay. obvious specific mad libs. First, first, first of all, let's not let's not blame the the high school girls. Um, yeah, I will blame. The they high know girls. not what they do. Well, yeah, myself and Tusad should have known better. Yeah, you you at least. Oh, we apologize. Only, you were the only inebriated one. Tusad, I don't know what your excuse was. <laughs> My excuse is that I'm sorry. What? (laughs) Wow. Whatever. Uh, Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, Sam, can I be Wow. It was years ago. The teenagers that were sitting behind my mom and I, their commentary was more engaging to me um, because you could tell and... Having been in stage productions as well, it's something that I like about live performances or about audience um, viewing. And you get to kind of, and in group audiences, I guess, um, is that you get a, a vibe that's going on and you can kind of feel the, the way that people are responding to it. And you can sometimes hear their commentaries. Um, I know there was a production I was in um, in my undergrad and it was this really wrenching drama um, and you could actually hear when it hit like the the absolute peak in in sadness um, in the piece. Um, you could hear people like rustling about, grabbing their tissues. You could hear people like like actually responding to you in some physical way, and that was to me as a as a performer that was really powerful. Um, and kind of sitting in the theater this time when these two girls are sitting behind me. Um, and I'm like fully engaged in what's going on in front of me to very subtly hear them. Oh my God, did you see that? Oh my God, this is crazy. I don't li-. and like just to hear them. Oh and my their... God, Heather. <laughs> 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 uh, 
um, just to hear their believability. And like at one point, um, one of them had made like a really interesting like you're like whoa what the hell like you could tell that they were even kind of um and this kind of goes into alex's commentary and mm. not why i'm conflicted about this movie um you could tell that they were kind of pulled out of the moment as well mm-hmm. um and i think that to me is something about hereditary um that there's significant scenes within it where I totally believe it. Um, I, I was watching it. Um, one for example is that entire sequence leading up to the sister being killed. Mm -hmm. Um, and even just after that, it was totally. And, and just, I, are you talking about Tony Collette, like grieving and sobbing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty intense. Um, that was, it, absolutely that insane. That was what Godfather 3 wanted to be. Yeah. The scene when the daughter gets killed, mm-hmm. but Al Pacino can't handle it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and that that whole portion um, was so beautifully done. Um, and yet other things, and I think it kind of goes to that last third of the movie. I just had a lot of trouble kind of Placing myself and, and hmm. really kind of accepting it for the most part. I I appreciate the complexity that mm. this piece offers um, and how many layers there are and how many things like you can keep tying back in and, and how interconnected everything is. The, the interesting thing for me about this mm-hmm. is that this film seems like it completely is centered around grief yeah. for most of it. Mm-hmm. And then it... Yeah, almost like exactly like the Babadook is. Have you ever seen yes, that? Yes, I have. Okay. okay, I thought the same exact thing. And, and and then that's where my, oh, this film takes a left turn. Yeah. Because totally. it completely becomes about the supernatural, which again, for me, someone who does not love these kind of films, right. um, I was not like, oh, okay, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> um, to me, I was just like, meh. For yeah. to to piggyback off of that, for a film that seems like in its first two thirds that it's so centered on grief, mm-hmm. and then for it to take the turn that that grief is in effect a it is a a sort of a side effect of machinations that are sort of like totally like to the to the opposite to the to the to the side of grief. Yeah, feels weird. Yeah. it does. It does feel feel kind of weird. You know, I, it's like. This this and everybody may re- grief is easier to hold on to and believe in. Yeah, to mm-hmm. be fair. Yeah, and to be fair. Yeah, everybody may disagree with me, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that there are moments in this film when I feel like there are comparisons to Fight Club, and I, I again elaborate. Okay. So, A, the Anne Dowd character for me mm-hmm. totally fits in with the Tyler Durden, sort of this person that just kind of shows up. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, of there being this 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 idea of what's actually going on mm-hmm. in the background and what you believe is going on, mm-hmm. um, and it being something totally different. Yeah. Um, but the that that whole that whole play that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets revealed in a really nice package in Fight Club that is very in front for the audience, where right. this takes a completely different direction. It's much more expository in this 
that it's sort of like a beat that she just goes back to the box and goes looking through yeah. the actual like photos. I like there's a lot of cool creepy bits in this film that I really yes. enjoy. Like when she puts the book away and she turns all the lights in the studio and she sees yeah. the outline of her mother for the first time. That and was that's that a nice crazy. horror element. I like that, was a, that. that was a good horror element. Um I think I will still maintain and still argue that the decapitation and the aftermath of that and like Tony Collette's like breakdown yeah. from that, like those are the peaks of this film. I think that that's definitely where like everybody's fucking silent or yeah. absorbing the gravity of what the fuck is going on. That's, that's a peak in the very middle. Now you could say that's a strength or you could say that's a fault, but I think that's an arguably a peak for me. Like I would say that. Just, just, I agree. Just from the outside looking into from a film perspective, how about uh, the return of Gabriel Byrne too? Although he's been on thing. You, but it's in, in treatment. Yeah, he was in treatment, and yeah. then but but most but people recently he was in a, a Joachim Trier film, who was a Swedish filmmaker who's not related to Lars von Trier, mm-hmm. even though he makes similar films. Yeah, um, and he was in that one called Louder Than Bombs. So but, he seems to like he's coming back, right? But, but it's been forever. But I was gonna say for me, like mainstream wise, it's been like since The Usual Suspects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. So it was nice to see him. And actually, he's, I thought he gave a really good performance in this. Yeah. In everything yeah. he does. Yeah. I like the. I li- I I, I liked how some of the more innocuous details that are sort of um, given off by Tony Collette's character Annie in the uh, in the grief counseling center, like those ended up becoming like. They're not just offhand things. Right. Like it, it, it not. It's not just charting a, a history of grief within her family. It's actually sort of like putting together a map of like how things got to this point and where they're actually going to go. Because she talks about her father, how she, he uh, he starved himself to death, and how her brother had schizophrenia and believed that their mother had put voices inside of him, and so he killed himself. And all of that actually leads into why these things are happening right now because the mother was actually grooming the brother to originally be a vessel for payment. That's what it would sort of like – that's what I it's got from that. it. Yeah. But he killed himself, and she wasn't able to get, have kids anymore, which is the reason why she pressured Tony Collette into having kids. She – they had already estranged themselves from the, Which the mother. Which is because they had a boy first when exactly. they were estranged. Yeah. 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 But she, she was just hoping that yeah. the girl would become a tomboy. That's why right. she... Well, not, not hoping that, but well, right. her... Right. Forcing uh, reg- the hand. Yes. Right. Her and, regret and, of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. because she was able to get her hands on this child, and that child ended up becoming a vessel for payment. And then there's whole other play that goes on. Which, yeah. yeah. Equality. <laughs> I will say uh, something, and again, this is a film that I didn't really care for that much. Mm-hmm. Something I will for sure applaud this film for. This movie shows, shows fantastic restraint on the grandmother's character because a lot of lesser films would just force her in at multiple moments yeah. where this film keeps her or, completely out of the picture for the most part. If not force her in, like you said. Mm-hmm. 
At the very least, it would have been restrained in the same manner and then shown like a good five minute flashback. Yeah. You know, where you got the whole, you know, picture that you need. You get very little here, though. Yeah. And, it, and right. it's actually really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I sort of came across while I was reading like interviews with Ari Aster and like sort of breakdowns about this film was that when I initially watched the film, I thought that Charlie was merely possessed by Paymon. Mm-hmm. When I it agree. turns out that Charlie is not possessed by Paymon, Charlie is Paymon, yeah. pretty much. Paymon exists within this vessel and is not aware or cognizant of the fact of what it is. Yeah. That's why Charlie is so fucking weird. Yeah. Like that, that's it. Which so. that initially... Which makes me feel sad for Paymon, almost. Right. like Paymon um, has a pe- penis allergy? I don't know why. Yeah, it's the body. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's a difference yeah. between the body and Fucking the Fucking 21st century. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. talk about what my favorite yeah. bit in the in the finale was a little bit later, but I want to hear what uh. I was gonna. Nick's gotta give Nick his. Yeah, I, I really want to hear this. Oh mm. boy. Okay, I kind of have a long-winded answer. Mm. Yes, please. But I'm gonna indulge. Okay. Uh, just some personal details yes. really quick. Um, I, I think I mentioned it on this podcast before, mm-hmm. but I was born with a syndrome mm-hmm. called Marshall-Stickler syndrome. Yes. And that syndrome in and of itself is technically the manifestation of genes passed on, uh, that somehow evolved with every generation. Yeah. My grandpa passed on something that it went undiagnosed in and of itself to my father and my father passed on the same strain so to speak to me and I just happen to have the worst uh, example of it so far at mm-hmm. least and I, I think about that and when I was born genetic testing was not a thing yet right. it is now mm-hmm. but all the doctors essentially diagnosed me uh, before the age of Wikipedia, and they were all accurate. It's not like we're, we have any uh, uncertainty as to what I have. It, right. They're like, they said it, and then my mom and dad looked and goes, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what he exhibits and whatnot. So now I find myself as an adult facing an interesting conundrum because I have been told by doctors that it would still be in my best interest to be diagnosed and to get genetic testing mm-hmm. and yet i don't see the value in that mm. because i've gone my entire life with this quote-unquote undiagnosis as far as like that's what the doctors tell me so that's just what i tell all the other doctors whenever i see them right and it worked out just fine for me and whatnot mm-hmm. um and i i wonder what evil lies beyond <laughs> getting that confirmation yeah. like if i already know what i have then why do I need to, un, you know, pop open that veil? What else would you discover if exactly. you actually, like... And then I think about that, too. And I think, okay, so is this is, is this a bloodline thing? Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it goes from my grandfather to my father to me, and it gets worse in every generation. Mm-hmm. But then I think that, okay, from my grandfather to my father, that was a one in... He's a one in five child. Mm-hmm. And then my parents had only two children, so whatever the fucking math is on that, I mean, it goes from, you know, one in five to one in two, so multiply that, whatever. 
that is one of the most arbitrary things ever. My brother doesn't have this. None of my uh, dad's siblings mm-hmm. has this strain and whatnot. Now, they might have it in a recessive format, but right. whatever. Right. Fuck them. <laughs> um, but I'm the one that got it. Yeah. So I then I think, okay, so if I confirm it, then is the only benefit added to my life that I now see the strings behind my existence. Mm. And I just, I you know, whatever. So I've never been in uh, one to at least go for that so far. Right. Uh, maybe if I ever decide to have children, if I'm ever in a situation like that, then I might want some kind of on-paper diagnosis to see what everything looks like, to mm-hmm. see how I'll fuck up the next generation. <laughs> but for right now, at least, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And so I, I watch a movie like Hereditary... And I, I look and I see that the first time I watched, I mean, I have, I've only seen it once, but mm-hmm. the immediate reaction I had to Hereditary while I really liked it was I was trying to figure out if the title was a misnomer and mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. that was just a sideshow to the real you know horror at hand. And the more I think about it, actually, the more I think that it is actually aptly titled and that that is the real horror show here because mm-hmm. every time I think back on this film I think about how everything for these characters is laid out they have a yeah. scrapbook that tells them exactly what's happening they have as we know Tony Collette's character has all the information she has w- without even opening that scrapbook mm-hmm. with her family history and yet these characters <laughs> hang on to one of the most tragic things that could ever happen with the decapitation. And because that is such an alluring thing, that's how they want to define themselves from this point forward. And they want to, they sense an arbitrary uh, uh, meaning to their own existence. And yet the first thing that comes along that is arbitrary except it's not, Mm -hmm. at least arbitrary to them, Right. uh, that's when they finally hang their hat on it and they say, oh my God, this is is fucked up, Mm -hmm. my life is awful, whatever. And yet that is still just a symptom of everything that has been happening before. Mm -hmm. And the more I think about it too, the more I think about how this movie is in no way shy about these puppet strings and these uh, mechanisms because technically the opening scene is the pole that she gets decapitated. It is the highway in which she loses her head, mm-hmm. and it is the symbol on the uh, uh, the telephone pole itself. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. That's also the symbol on the necklace yeah. of the mother yes. with her body and also on Annie when she's giving the speech. Yeah. It's like right. it's just and it's everywhere. I, and I don't even think that that's cute in a way of like, oh, now that we've seen the whole movie, now we understand the movie or anything like that. But I think that that's a great example of how this movie is hiding in plain sight when it comes to the ridiculous, uh, meticulous nature of this family's bloodline and uh, just fucked up traditions in which we as the viewer are just like Tony Collette's character. When that decapitation happens, we just ascribe all meaning and all emotion to it because it is the only thing we understand in this film. 
because which is fucked up because we also don't even understand why it happened. Right. We we just think that tragedy in and of itself is meaningful mm. and therefore we should just draw everything to this. And then because of that, when the ending comes, we are somehow blindsided. And I say it myself included, but we're blindsided to the idea that this was some kind of supernatural thing all along when this whole movie has been supernatural and just completely drowned in the occult. We just don't care about that. And a lot of that comes back to a little moment in this movie that kind of reminds me of what I think is kind of a microcosm for how the audience and this family deals with their past history Mm -hmm. uh, and how they move forward, which is... When the there's a scene in which um, their door is in the frame, and then somebody pushes uh, a flyer through the mm-hmm. door mm-hmm. slot, the open and it's the open seance, and it's great because we actually get no follow up with that as far as the flyer itself um, at all. And I like the idea that the family itself ignores this flyer. So of course the next scene is Anne Dowd's character. Uh, bringing the seance to Annie's character. And it's it, it's that kind of, like, the movie saying, like, no, this is what's happening, literally right. waving a fire in your face, and yet we have to wait for the characters to pretend that they're emotionally tied to this mm-hmm. before we actually give a fuck about any of this. So by the time it actually is unfolding in front of our very eyes, then we're like, oh, no, we didn't want to see this and right. this is fucked up and this is stupid was well, like well it is stupid because it's fucking arbitrary and it's horrifying and it's never going to fit in any way model of, yeah of model reasoning of, exactly yeah. and so yeah that's why you have grown adults in a tree fort because it's yeah. stupid and even that tree fort is technically a manifestation of a family tree yeah. building a home in and of itself a home that's rotted to its core but a home nonetheless mm-hmm. and it i don't know so I, this, i'm so, a big fan yeah. so um that's my I, opening thoughts hey of course <laughs> um i I mentioned my feelings on how this film somewhat relates to Fight Club earlier, and, and I mean, you can disagree with that if, I, if you want. Yeah, um, there's a larger conspiracy going on. And yeah, um, what what I I feel like what drove those feelings for me when I thought about that and I made the connection um, was Ann Dowd's character actually, because I love the idea that no one ever sees her other than Tony Collette, yeah. and she's always in a uh, in an, in a instance where only Tony Collette has seen her, mm-hmm. whether it is a parking lot, actually multiple parking lots, because yeah. the first time she sees her is outside, mm. and she's like, well, come in. Well, I was here earlier in the week. <laughs> she was, though. She was actually... Was she? Yeah, like yeah. when she was actually like doing her whole like spiel, like talking about her family tree, and then it pans back to like the other like people in the, she's one of them in, 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 the, the in the circle. She's actually there in the circle. Yeah, like mm. you don't notice her. Like I noticed that the second time I watched it, I was like, oh wow, this is well, really that fucks my through. Well, <laughs> maybe, it is, right? yeah. but I'm with you in the sense that it, if one were to watch this movie, like I am pretty much. 100 percent like mm-hmm. I, there's no middle ground for me mm-hmm. in the sense that i think Anne dowd's character is completely real yeah. sure. and every and yet but she's almost she's so movie, ephemeral to yes. it that yeah. she her her actions have material consequences on what is actually happening but she is such an ephemeral presence that when annie is trying to convince her husband that 
that person is who they are. She can't like the husband cannot even refer to ever having seen that person. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say that this person in this video in this in this picture is the person that you met before, but how how would you be able to reason right. that that you, you, your wife must be insane, right? Like you've yeah. never seen this person before, which is why the connection seems so obvious to exactly. me yeah. to Fight yeah. Club because. Yeah. It's the same thing where, of course, this is the person because mm-hmm. I've been with them for the last year. Right. Uh, I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why Anne Dowd is actually my favorite character of this film mm-hmm. because yeah. it's interesting that her character, A, um, the, the moment when, A, she, she, she's really a saleswoman. She totally is. In, in Yeah. Because she's selling Tony Collette's character on the idea of this connection uh, early on. And it's the moment mm-hmm. when she gets her to come back to her apartment mm-hmm. that that's really, it, it's all over at that, that point. Totally yeah. is. Because then all of a sudden, that's when things turn from. Everything starts picking mm-hmm. up. And then. I mean, the welcome mat alone. Like, she's trapped before she even walks in the door. Right? Yeah. Because she's already making those connections. Which, a sane person would be like, wait, why is this so goddamn familiar? But when you're grieving, then... So, for me, at least, grief is not necessarily a a sideshow, but more of a distraction Mm. from the real problems in this film. And I think... Grief is a symptom of the real problem. Yeah, and I think it that conversation also brings up an interesting idea, at least that I had gathered from when I was watching this as well, um, about that power that grief has. Um, and that oftentimes it's, um, it's something that we say that we're over and that we are done with and that we move on so easily from but it surprises you but it surprises you yeah. and and it it has it holds you tighter than you think it does mm-hmm. um and i think a a personal moment is so um my first dog that i ever had passed away from a heart attack oh. um and it was the most heart-wrenching day week of mm-hmm. my entire life right. um, because I loved him very dearly. Um, and at the same time, being older, um, I I had to come to terms and I, I kind of had sort of a, a personal revelation essentially that, you know, it's fine that you grieve, but you can't let it consume you. And I think that's something that um, in – in almost a supernatural sense or a paranormal sense, this film kind of touches upon that, you know, if you let it, it will devour you from the inside out. Um, and that sometimes some people are more predispositioned to hold on to some things because they can't find that um, they, they don't have that support system or they don't have others who are trying to tell them, you know, it's okay mm-hmm. To, to move on or things like that. If which, anything, this family has the total opposite of that, which is exactly. just people are like, nah, I wanted to consume you, bro. Go get consumed, bro. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that kind of goes and ties into just that. The most toxic kind of support group. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. It kind of goes to that support group, essentially, that support group and Joni or mm. Joan. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of like – 
cult or coven or mm. however you want to describe it. Um, and, and as twisted as it may be connected, um, at the same time, there's, it's, it's definitely a statement that's being made about that sort of hold that, that want, that it has on somebody. Um, nonetheless, um, I don't know if I fully agree with how it was portrayed in that final portion. Mm, yeah. Um, I would have liked to see something different in my eyes. Um, but that's a personal opinion, and that's just that's me. I think that it did, and uh, cinematography wise, this and and sound wise, this is beautiful. Can we talk about those it's, snap transitions? Oh, the oh day to night and the night to day. Yeah, that one, and then um, the scene of where the son is lying in the bed, mm-hmm. and you hear the mother wailing, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it just snaps, and it's just the head in the middle of the desert. Bright daylight, bugs like crawling over it. Yeah. Over it. yeah. Um, and it's just literally there. I and I'm not one to normally get like nauseated oh, and yeah. things like that. I often have a heart like a, a tough stomach with right. this kind of stuff. And even like being involved in theater when it comes to horror films, I'm usually really good at like pointing out like that's where the CGI is. That's where the fake blood. <laughs> but that was is. really grisly. The, it was really grisly. That I actually I looked at it for maybe like a second, mm. and I had to look down because I was, I was so yeah. disturbed from it. Right. No one's gone and picked that up, by the way. The, that was something else <laughs> that I was yeah. like, "Are you just burying a body without a head? Yeah. What are you doing?" Yeah. Um, Nobody asked him. Hey, where did the head get knocked off at? Can we go collect that for the burial? Pretty, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, can, can I ask a question? Yes. Um, and this goes to my feelings on the last 20 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. What is everyone's feelings about the final scene of this film? Mm-hmm. Uh, hail, hail Paymon. The final scene being the scene of the treehouse? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hail Paymon. I, that's I mean, you, honestly... you're gonna need to you, you need to go a little further than oh. that. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, we know how you feel. Yeah. We need what, what are what are your readings, reactions, and what what did you gather from the final scene? Because I have my own thoughts, and I just want to. I mean, else's. the final scene for me is just a, like a literalization of the um, the sort of supernatural like stuff that was or that that was already sort of like hinted at as a through line throughout the entire film but now it's just made more explicit um yeah it it just sort of just explicated everything that was going on it's like with the whole conspiracy and it just represented the culmination of that that it was totally out of their hands to really just affect any of this because yeah. it was just not they 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 are they are pawns in a much larger scheme from a person who, who's who's viewing from afar, mm-hmm. uh, the final scene was a weird uh, mashup. It totally was between the ending of the witch mm-hmm. and the ending of the Babadook, mm-hmm. where it's this weird. I mean, no, you, please you, go, go on. Yeah, go. Uh, it's this weird combination of this supernatural world mm-hmm. with this grief mixed in at the same time yeah. where all of a sudden you have this really, and that's why I was kind of just turned off by it because you have this really on screen off put moment with the two decapitated heads and the naked people and 
everything that's happening in the treehouse and the crown mm. on the sun, and it's just like, what the fuck it is becomes, happening? It becomes yeah. a lot more magical, realist in a way. I'm just Dude. like, oh, yeah, it was very kind of weird. Okay, I think it, magical realism is the perfect when, like surrealism. When the is body, what I was thinking when the too, body floats like, up into the into the treehouse, I'm just yeah. like, it's got the little twinkling noise in the background. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is kind of fucking weird. <laughs> I can totally get where I can get where where the the I, whole witch thing comes from. I actually laughed when I heard like the little <laughs> like twinkling sounds. I was yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah, like, right. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that? the I mean, Rosemary's Baby. I'm just gonna be- come back to it. Like yeah. that to me is the the most explicit riff of this ending. Yeah. To that, <laughs> it's like the the. It, it's not even a question now, that it feels now, like. It's now, this is coming from someone who's never seen Rosemary's Baby. Okay, me. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, uh, as someone who already was not feeling the direction that this film was going, mm-hmm. just because from a visual level and from a just watching the film and taking it for what it's worth, because yeah. that's the kind of person I am, especially mm-hmm. with this kind of film, uh, I was just not feeling what this was doing. And, and the way this film ended, I was just like sitting there with my hand on my face being like, what can I say? What my favorite part of the ending was That's of, of the last scene was sure. Uh, when Peter gets up and he is walking through the house, and you know, you see Tony Collette's character like hunched over in the the corners. Like it's probably like there's the, the one scene when you, you, if you're not looking really closely, mm-hmm. she's there. Yeah, yeah, she's there. Yeah, oh, yeah, great. I love that. Dude, yeah, I love that. And that, then, that and then, scene got and then me you show her like, from a I side profile it. where it's just like her crawling. Through the air, like, and it's not too fast, not too quick, but it's just like enough to just like really. Which, the the, the only problem with that, yeah. The other problem with that is that we've seen that in many horror films. Yeah, but yeah. but my favorite part wasn't that. It was when mm-hmm. he goes downstairs and he sees the burnt body of his father, and he turns around and sees this creepy naked motherfucker <laughs> in the silhouette of of him. In his naked thighs and his penis and just smiling at you. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing in my house? Walking around like that. Who's the, the same guy the, from the funeral. What, who are you? To, yes. Who, in the first, well. The, the yeah, that's the guy the first, yeah. at, the, at the wedding. At who's the, uh, smiling. At the wedding. Yeah, at the, yeah, the funeral. At the funeral, the funeral. who's uh, smiling funeral. very creepily. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And with, that with, just with, makes with it the, more creepy. With, as Tucson said, the naked thighs and the penis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, what the fuck are you because you, you, you're, you're, because it's 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 just like the scene with 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 Annie in the corner where you're just like straight and like what the fuck is that there and you're like then you see it and I'm like oh okay yeah so anyone else's thoughts on the final scene please you look like you're about to say something that's why I looked to you right away I okay so the final scene for me I, I'm a big fan of and I can understand why it can rub anybody the wrong way mm-hmm. for me though. From the moment uh, Peter is thrown out the window mm-hmm. and he lands on the ground, he's dead. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for me, at yeah. least. I don't think that's ambiguous, but I could also entertain the thought that it might be. But he's dead, and then we see the light of Paimon mm-hmm. enter him. Uh, so what, what I find very fascinating from that moment to the end credits, basically, is that the horror stops. Yeah. I mean, we obviously see things of that are of the macabre nature or uh, that are just slightly surreal and whatnot, but nothing is, from that moment, there to, quote-unquote, scare the audience. Right. Horror can only exist. I mean, you can be terrified. And there's yeah. nothing to terrify you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And certainly, 
things in that scene can be taken out of context to be scary, like the naked bodies mm. and whatever else. But in general... Nakedness is scary? What? Sometimes. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> but um, from that moment on, what I, I guess what I kind of applaud is that the movie and I think the script is basically saying that this is so mundane that it kind of circles around to being scary again. Mm-hmm. Like it, it no longer has to go out of its way because while, and I can totally understand why anybody would feel this way. While it might seem like this hokey, uh, just tripe kind of presentation of the occult and supernatural at the end of the day though, I was going to say, that's what won. Yeah. You know, like, we just went through hell and back throughout this entire movie. And the people that were behind it were people who essentially stand naked in a treehouse and say, hail payment. You know, like, for me at least, like, that's terrifying to think about. I'm not saying when I watch that, that, like, I'm frozen in fear or anything like that. But that that is what the occult looks like it's this monotone approach to uh real problems and uh actual suffering that people can make fun of all they want but if they're ever coming after you i i don't want to be on the other side of that yeah. like it's just, yeah. it, it's this weird uh dichotomy that for me at least like that that last 20 minutes was when i was like I kind of started to like the movie more because throughout the whole thing, I was uncomfortable with this grief versus the supernatural battle because I couldn't quite understand what the film was doing. And because the movie actually picked a lane, that's when I was like, at least I now know what this movie is doing. And like the character, albeit too late, I understand what was happening the whole time. I realized that that doesn't, uh, diminish the grief that was on display, but holy shit, what's more scary than finding out? Uh, what's more scary than grief? Finding out that your grief doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. In the face of this. That is really so. That's something so personal yeah. to you is not even about you. Yeah. yeah. It's, so. it's. Yeah. 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 Wow, Re- really quick before Tuzan, Sam, did you have anything to to add to that discussion um, we were having? Just kind of, I mean, kind of playing off of that. It. So I loved Scooby Doo when I was little, and mm-hmm. I still love it now. What a transition! Um, <laughs> Scooby Doo, don't, don't worry, we're coming back around. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, please don't. I. Th- <laughs> I want to hear more about Scooby Doo. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, as weird as of a connection this is, I think that idea that there's. That there's no such thing as monsters, mm. but that humans themselves can become monsters um, to themselves or to their tight, you know, their tight niche groups. Oh, I thought um, you were gonna say their tight little bods. <laughs> no, um, oh, sorry, I was thinking about Chris Pratt. His abs. Um, <laughs> abs. <laughs> I can't um, wait when we talk about Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. That's gonna be a fun episode. <laughs> it's probably gonna be a really good movie. You know, I think it might be. It could be. We'll see. Jurassic World was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pratt's on sure. fire. 
I mean, that Jennifer Lawrence movie he made was really good. And this time good. he'll literally be at a volcano. So if he's not on fire here, I mean. <laughs> Speaking of on fire, the father. Uh, no, yeah. I want you to continue. <laughs> yeah. We'll go back to that. Oh that was pretty fucking good. Yeah. We'll yeah. go back to Gabriel um, Byrne, baby Byrne. Hey! <laughs> that, um, what, what a two-step there. Well done, was. guys. Um, Tucson doesn't usually... He isn't usually game for those, but this time, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that that was something that I very much enjoyed, um, kind of about this film, and um, and also the the realism of the relationships, um, and kind of that ties into you know the I I don't think we've talked about it yet, and if we have, I'm so sorry. Um, the dinner conversation. At the no, table. we have not. No, we really didn't. Yeah. That scene, um, just even, so, again, I saw it with my mom, mm-hmm. and my mom and I do not have that terse of a relationship. Right. Um, you know, we, God. <laughs> I know, right? Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Let's go see a movie. <laughs> We have our I was going to say, this would have been quite, the, does, yeah. quite the confession if right. you were like, Anybody oh, by the way, I've killed, <laughs> I've, I've killed a sibling earlier in my oh life. Oh, my God. Uh, downer. Um, oh, no, that happened. <laughs> we were just able to move past it. I devoured my twin in the tomb. Didn't you know that? In, in the tomb. In the tomb. In the tomb. Not the womb. In the tomb. In the womb. In the womb. The womb became a tomb. <laughs> she locked me in the tomb, and I said, fuck you, baby. Anyway, anyway. Uh, anyway. Chris Pratt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Abs. I was going to say oh Chris God. Pratt was the... Yeah, that's, that's, like fine. Our, that's how we like come back <laughs> okay. together, but also yeah. go further out. Yeah. Um, but that, that scene um, and that conversation, or rather argument and kind of hurling of words at mm. each other... Um, I felt that very viscerally when I was sitting in the theater, and I I could tell that my mom could sense yeah. it too because yeah. I saw her kind of like tighten up a little bit, mm-hmm. and she sat back further, mm-hmm. and 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 she said, "You can find your own ride home." <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my mom and I talked about it afterward that that scene stuck with us so much because. Even if we haven't experienced something to that level, mm-hmm. we are familiar with those feelings and that resentment that is harbored, or that sort of that sort of um, desire to talk about that with somebody. Um, and you could feel it in the room, even if you weren't even in the same room as these people. Mm-hmm. Dude, I mean, postpartum pre- depression. Yeah, and but harbored in a film that is over that many years i was gonna say <laughs> this is like postpartum depression if it was the south park episode where Cart- oh no cartman's mom wants to have an abortion oh my, oh my god even though cartman is nine years old wow i actually remember that i'm not oh, wrong. i do too yeah. no. i wow oh boy Oh, Cartman's mom. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is something. Yeah. Anyway. Please continue, yeah. sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, uh, and I think that scene does such a beautiful job of kind of define, and to me in that moment, in that particular scene, I saw more of uh, the character of Annie than I saw throughout the entire piece. Hmm. Um, because... 
just her mannerisms of at the dinner table that she wasn't eating she was picking or kind of painting at her food hmm. and that to me showed more about her as a person and even her like just her physical characteristics of how she was sitting at the table how she's engaging with her husband and her son and everything like that or not engaging correct yeah um and it totally just came full circle and i saw more of this woman in that one scene than i feel i learned over the entire course of of the film for the most part mm. um and that kind of ties into something that i had a bit of a difficulty with and i don't know if it was just me being like more picky about my expositions mm. um but i definitely caught on like when certain details were being mentioned like does that have nuts in it um mm. or things like that i i'm one of those people especially with the that genre that line was extremely awkward and yes. forced mm. to the point where i somehow still missed <laughs> you know the uh the, the cake scene in, yeah. in that party. But before uh, uh, that, though, when they when she said that, I was like, I don't understand. The mom just, like, is going to randomly police what I think that d- girl is old enough to understand herself. Right. Really, knowing knowing that that line from early on uh, during the wake, where it's like, is there nuts in that? We don't have the EpiPen. And then the results of... of, of it makes sense. Of, of, Charlie, of Charlie's death. I just can't help but think, like, wow, you are really shitty parents yeah, all around. Yeah. Parents. Why don't you have an EpiPen on you all the damn time? But I'll say this. As someone who loved this movie, uh, that felt mostly like we have to make sure we set up the <laughs> anaphylactic shock. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, Although I don't feel like it took away from it, though. No. 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 So. I think it definitely did not take away from it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think... That and maybe a couple of other things could have been smoothed out a little bit more. Or, sure. as I quote my fellow graduate students, that could be mm-hmm. massaged in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Let's unpack this. <laughs> oh my god. There's a lot of there's a lot of different. Let's unpack this. There's a lot of English verbiage. Um, <laughs> but that sort of um, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I was massaging. No. 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 That's a big grasp right there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, that was um, this. This is Um, all your eyes' fault, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) continue. But uh, I think things could have been smoothed out a little bit more um, in terms of the stop. That that's I can't. I have to close my eyes. Um, Oh no, (laughs) that's not. It'll just make me do worse shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I think things could have been smoothed out a little bit more that, you know, it is a horror genre. And typically those that are watching the genre, um, if they are avid fans or they're familiar with it, they're well aware that they have to keep their eye on the details. That's That's something that's key about it. So while we're talking about this, A, well, two things. A... What about the main character, played by Tony Collette wonderfully, uh, sleepwalking? And yeah. two, in addition to her sleepwalking, uh, at one point apparently dousing her children With in paint thinner, paint thinner and trying okay. to light them on fire. Uh, okay, yeah. first of all, no, no, she no, wasn't. No, 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 she no, wasn't. Parents trying. make mistakes. <laughs> she... Okay, 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 okay. Hold on, hold on. I've, I've got more. All right. 
and then well, you said two things. Continue. The, what I feel like is the uh, the the most powerful line of the film when she is sleepwalking, and I'm using quotes there, uh, talking to her son and talking about how she never wanted to be a mother, mm-hmm. which is by far, at least to me, the most like oh fuck mm-hmm. moment of the yes. film. Um, I mean that that's a big part of the story is that she says that she's sleepwalking. And we find out all the things that she's done when on the outset she's this normal person right. who's overcome her fucked up family right. when in reality she's got plenty of problems. The, uh, so this... the sleepwalking thing really quick though. Mm-hmm. I think if there's anything ambiguous in this movie it's the idea of is she sleepwalking yeah, or is she under the influence of the, the occult? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, sure. I think that there's a good argument both sides of that, but oh, the yeah. whole, the whole like scene where it talks about how she doused her children in paint thinner and she had a lit match. I the think only that reason she woke up was lighting the match. That too, speaks is... to a subconscious acknowledgement of what is going on. Yeah, yeah. I think that she's. No, for sure. I think she's trying to kill her children and herself to save them from a fate arguably worse than death. I've wondered which she does too. does later in the film when she's trying to kill herself. Yeah, and she ends up killing Gabriel Byrne instead. That poor man. Can I just say the really quick the entire movie? <laughs> Can I just he say gets the raw end of the he stick? Totally Boy, does. He he he's and, just trying to take care of his family. Man, he takes a one eighty too yeah. because early in the film he's completely trying to protect her when he finds out about the children. Uh, destroying the grave, and he's trying to downplay it. And yeah. then at the end, he's like, "Oh You're no, the one who did it." Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he gets burned to death. Can I just say, <laughs> Gabriel Byrne in this movie, besides just being wonderfully casted, because mm-hmm. I think he's fantastic mm-hmm. in it. Um, but his character as the husband is such a pitch perfect character because it makes perfect sense that a person who makes miniatures for a living would marry that man who is nothing more than this uh, platonic ideal of a partner, which is someone who just exists to be exactly what you want them to be. I mean, obviously, toward the end, he has his own, you know, whatever, but it doesn't work out for him. Uh, but in general, he's Why just... Why do you say that? It doesn't work out. Spoiler. But in general, he's, he's just there <laughs> to... Fire. I mean, if you look at that dinner scene... Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why I love that dinner scene so much, besides Tony Collette, who's fantastic in it, is that there are three different performances going on in that yes, movie. Besides, so besides uh, Peter and Annie, Gabriel Byrne is also doing things in that scene, which is so fucking fantastic, as he tries to be this middleman mm-hmm. of completely understanding how crazy his wife is acting and yet also not wanting to upset the balance yeah. of power in He just household. wants to have a normal family. Oh, yeah. He totally does. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And the way he, you know, after Annie leaves and the way he, like, you know, grabs his yes. son's hand, it's one of the most tender moments in a movie that's really bleak um, that just completely shows how he's essentially on his son's side and yet he can't really go against his own wife. And, and yep. that's the definition of a of a doll, do, you know. Do I mean. you guys feel like he was like riding high after the grandmother died when he was like, 
this shit's over. Oh, yeah, I mean, I definitely (laughs) think, like, he was, besides just uh, being the quote-unquote man in charge, you know, like, he was, I think, for sure, as far as, like, that's why he's the number one contact on the uh, cemeteries, you know, whatever, and that he was just like, oh, I can take care of all this. And but, one, but but they moved past this, oh, the, the, yeah. this this aberration right, right, right. in in their lifetimes, and yet it just completely manifests in a much larger way than afterwards. Yeah, and that's one more thing I'll mention about the son of uh, Peter is that what I kind of love about this movie is that this is Annie's story through mm-hmm. and through from the start to almost the end. Because by the time Annie gets uh, consumed by grief, essentially, and becomes part of the cult, uh, what I like is the idea that in the very beginning of the movie, um, Gabriel Byrne's character and and his son, uh, Peter, has the conversation, which is so true to life, where he goes, how you doing? And he's like, I'm fine. Like, and that is unfortunate right. because you yeah. think it's like rude, but in reality, that's just what happens when right. a lot of grandchildren lose their grandparents, mm-hmm. especially if they didn't really know them. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just in general, like that's so normal, yeah. even if it seems like so bleak or so rude or whatever. And so he is the only person that would actually be the last one standing. And therefore, the only host uh, for this uh, demon or whatever. So the idea that he becomes the de facto main character, albeit through the loss of his own soul, mm-hmm. uh, it just makes perfect sense. And it's kind of embedded through the narr- uh, narrative from start to finish, much like DNA is. Um, DNA. Deoxyribonucleic <laughs> acid. Okay. Um I don't necessarily know if it is. Uh, anybody have any thoughts about the obsession with smoking weed from the son and how that relates to his character? Uh, actually, yes. Yeah? I always have thoughts. Okay. I don't think this is like an anti-drug movie by any means. No. Like, no. But I do think that something that's ironic about this movie is that the drugs in a lot of ways make him the perfect vessel. Yeah. As he goes through his life continually stoned and therefore outside of himself hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I think that for space for something else to fill that. Yeah. 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 And not only that, but we even see that his own habit eerily reflected back at him when we see a figure blow smoke, which yeah. Uh, yeah. outside of his own window. Yeah. That was. Yes. Which is like a great image in and of itself but if you take that uh in conjunction with his own habit mm. uh that also just says that he's uh this is not something that's just so unique to him or his journey but um something as simple as that as weed so to speak the scene where is he's what makes him his own prisoner the yeah. scene the scene where he's like freaking out with his friends underneath the bleachers yeah. and he's sort of like having a similar reaction to the weed that uh, yeah. Charlie had to the okay. to the cake um I sort of wonder whether or not that was supernatural or if it's more like psychosomatic like say, that trauma was right down the middle 50-50 yeah. Yeah. like on the one hand that was exactly what muscle memory of mm-hmm. you know like what happened that night yeah. right. on the other hand how creepy is that that 
what he indulged in is somehow exhibiting the effects right. of what his sister indulged in, which were two completely different things. Mm-hmm. I like the one one last thing is like uh, when I was talking about the snap transition, where it went from uh, night to day. The second time when it went from day to night, like right when uh, Peter wakes up um, after crushing his own nose, I really um, I, I didn't pick this up until like the second viewing. But all of the figures from the coven just like dotted over the landscape of the of the of, of the household is like that was yeah that was really cool. Does anybody There's have those... any any, any oh. feelings about the scene where he crushes his own nose and in, in the in the because that scene is like straight out of Exorcist and and that yeah kind of, uh, it just had this really weird feel and actually that scene um, and uh, again. Even though I don't care for it, I I know what this film's going for. I feel like that scene felt a little bit out of place to me. Mm. I could actually see that. Yeah, Um, that scene where the supernatural was, I would say, doing what I would call horror trailer mode. Hey, bud, gotta get out that body there, bud. Let me help you, bud. Especially at the point in the film where it happened pretty late in the film. That's the thing. If it happened early on, when things are still so unexpected. Uh, inexplicable and whatever but like I just remember seeing the trailer and seeing that scene and that was actually one of the reasons why I was kind of like not looking forward to this movie because I thought this movie was going to be this random assortment of supernatural shit uh, and I still think that scene is kind of like that sure. um, but I'm with you in the sense that there's nothing really to that scene that seems to be there other than just to be a talking piece of horror and and that's a little bit unfortunate because that kind of feeds into the final scene for me yeah. and and that's a, a problem part of it because it really in terms of what the film's message is doesn't seem to hit the mark right no it, it's certainly a weak point yeah so final ratings i think we're going to go into and i i feel like i'll be the lowest out of everybody maybe not yeah, i don't know we'll see we'll yeah. see i didn't really care for this film mm-hmm. but i will say there are parts of this film that I genuinely enjoyed, which is why I gave it the rating I did, mm-hmm. which is two out of five. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought this was a, a film that had highs and lows, and ultimately I did not like the direction this film went mm-hmm. uh, because I just don't like that kind of movie, and I was really enjoying what this film was doing until it ventured off into the direction it went, which ultimately is what the film was about. But for me, I, I, I just didn't really love the way it went. So, again, uh, there are other horror films that are not necessarily similar, but we've talked about on this podcast, like It Follows, that, that I liked less. Um, but, but this film had parts of it that I really enjoyed, um, but still the sum of its parts didn't really add up to me. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a two out of five for me. Yeah. Go next. Go yeah, um, I would I, I would give this a three out of five because although I would like to, I, I I come off of this with the general feeling that was sort of middle of the road for me. I feel like there's enough here to like tip the needle like more favorably than disfavorably, just because mm-hmm. I I did get a lot out of this film, like at least visually. I thought it was a very visually beautiful film, very sumptuous film, um, and it did give me a little bit more than you know, typical, like, 
horror movies, other contemporary horror movies right now to sort of chew on where I actually wanted to come see it a second time and actually be able to like sort of digest a little more of like what was actually going on. And I feel like there are a lot of pieces in play here that require attention and, and, and deliberation on part of the audience in order to like make sense of. And so for that, I think that it is a good film and I would recommend this film. Is it as high up as I wanted it to be for me? Nah, but I will probably remember it come like the end of the year when we actually do our, our roundup list. And I think that in itself is pretty much a compliment. I was like, I, I thought that was a, a pretty good film. So yeah, yeah, I give us a three, three out of five. Okay. Um, I have similar sentiments, um, mainly because it's. <clears throat> I would give it a three out of five as well. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just because as much as I enjoy the beauty of this, um, both visually, sound, everything like that, um, there were moments within this piece that just, they didn't really work for me. Um, and I think um, it's not that it didn't do a nice job um, of kind of, being the horror genre um but i it it took turns that um they weren't anticipated and oftentimes i like when a plot when i can't predict a plot and i'm totally fine with that um but for this one it just seemed a little too far off the path for me Mm. um and i i still went along with it but at the same time i was kind of like this this isn't the greatest way that it could go um but that's just a personal preference i think with such um such a brilliant setup in the first two-thirds of the film and everything like that um and especially if you route it along like a psychological thriller you have a lot to play with um and you have almost an overabundance to do um and unfortunately i don't think that last third really kind of fell into that that same um tenseness i guess that i was that that i had gained in that first portion of the film um and and i would have loved to see a little bit more done with it that maybe wasn't as um as different or as surreal um or magical realism especially since the acting was so realistic in the first part um i didn't expect it to take that 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 much of a turns surrealistically i guess um so yeah um i'll definitely remember it that's for sure um and and how beautiful it was visually and things like that i don't know if i'd watch it again maybe um so three out of five hey hi buddy I, I'm a big fan of this movie. I assume. <laughs> I um I gotta say we've been on a recent horror trend lately as a as a mainstream movie going, uh not not actually I won't even say mainstream movie going uh I say indie movie going yeah. uh audience in that we've gotten things like the Babadook and the Witch and it follows and whatnot. And I love all three of those films, so I mm-hmm. love this one as well. But this is the first one I actually think kind of fits inside the of whatever official, unofficial, I don't give a fuck, 
horror canon, just yes. of movies that have come out, which is not because that I don't mean that in the sense that I'm endorsing its quality mm-hmm. alongside past horror movies since the dawn of filmmaking or anything like that, but because it's the first time I've seen one of them that didn't seem like it was actually following the trend of its forebearers, and it actually had the convictions of what it wanted to do. Um, because that ending, I mean, you, you look at something like The Witch, which I think is great. Uh, but you look at something like that and it follows and they are so consistent and I would say confident in what they are doing that that movie is what it is from start to finish and it never tries to rise above its own complacency. Mm. And I also think the Babadook is similar to that because even that ending is also this weird uh mishmash of like it was supernatural the whole time but also it's a metaphor do you get it i I would Um, say the only one of those three you just mentioned that rises above is probably the witch oh and i agree with that okay uh but that is uh what i would say is an incredibly safe movie yeah okay from start to finish Mm -hmm. In the way that it never tries to step outside of its own horror. Whereas the last 20 minutes of this movie, if you hate it, that's understandable. But it does technically go for it. In a way that even the witch's ending doesn't. Like, that is just like, you know, oh, floating women. Oh, (laughs) you know, whatever. This There's is more to the finale of the witch, though. I'm saying that on the surface. Because okay. We're not talking okay. about the witch, mm-hmm. but I'm saying the ending to this movie is such a stark departure in tone, not in content, but in tone uh, that I can understand why anybody would hate it, and yet I also think that that's what horror is in and of itself. It is arriving at a destination which we were not mentally prepared for even though we were given all the tools to get there. <laughs> and so I I think this movie is pretty fantastic. It's not perfect by any means, but um, the arbitrariness of the ending and of a lot of the details in between strikes an, an unnerving chord uh, within myself that I recognize it completely in my own life, whether it be due to you know what I shared earlier as far as this how did I get this and do I blame what came before me even though they have nothing to do with it and yet choices were made and and that is a snake eating its own tail cycle of uh, you know how this happened and whatnot and I think this movie even if inadvertently like I you know I'm not saying Ari Aster is some kind of genius but um, even if inadvertently it touches on and it touches on uncomfortably so for me, uh, it's a fantastic film that, while not perfect, uh, maybe that mess <laughs> that it creates uh, is what makes it so uh, uncomfortable for me to watch. Yeah. So I give it four out of five stars. And that's from a first-time viewing. Right on. You And you are not planning to see it again in the theater? Probably not, just because it's an indie film, so it's probably gone by the time I try to go see it. Okay. But if I could go see it, I would want to go see it. You're going to purchase this, though, when it comes well, out, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Right on. 
Mm-hmm. So, if you out there have any feelings on Hereditary, we'd love to hear them because we had some pretty, pretty different thoughts on, on the film. So, we'd love to hear them uh, here on Film Tank at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Coming up on our next episode, we're going to talk about the new Jurassic Park film, which is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Oh boy, I hope it's good. I have to go see that. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm not so sure, but we we will see. Yeah. Anything can happen. As long as Chris Pratt's in it, I'm good. Hey. Hey. You'll have to tell us more about this Chris Pratt uh, obsession. He's he's lost some weight and gained some muscle. calendars. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) oh, damn. (laughs) I'm totally joking. I'm not... Sure, oh, no. Okay. So I just erased my calendar for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't tell you to erase it. <laughs> I, I just told you clear. to clear it. Mm. Yes, that's clear. That's coming up on our next episode. Uh, very big time thanks to Sam Shamar <laughs> for joining us. <laughs> very, that was, that was, Jesus uh, Christ. That was like about to fall asleep, a I'll Trumpian sentence. Yeah. Very I'm, big time things. Bigly. I'm so angry at you right I'm now. I'm sorry. I'm so pissed off right I'm now. I'm so sorry. Very angry. How angry? Very angry. Very big time angry. Very yes. big angry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you guys suck. Yeah. Anyways, thank you to Sam for joining us. Thank you for always having me. Big time. And from Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diegman, big time thank you for joining us, and we'll catch up with you next time here on Film Tank.